Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Steven Summers, co-founder of Marketplace Superheroes. And if you want to build valuable relationships, you should be listening to Build Your Network with my good friends, Travis Chappell and Eric Skwarzynski. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. Steven, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. What a pleasure it is, Eric. I am so happy to be here. Can't wait for the questions, interrogation, whatever it is you want to do. Yeah, I'm excited to interrogate you. So uh, let's <laughs> let's start early, early childhood. Let's talk about just childhood Stephen Summers. Like, what were you doing? Uh, what was kind of your your personality like at that time? Just tell me a bit about just growing up. What was that like? Yeah, so I grew up in a little town called uh, Wexford here in Ireland, and this town is not somewhere, we've got some very famous people have come from here and some very successful people, but it's not going to be a town where it was filled with people who were really incredibly ambitious and everybody was out there living this kind of fast lifestyle. It's very, very chilled, small town life here in Wexford, which is why I love it, which is why I'm so back to be back. I'm so glad to be back living here again. But growing up, you know, a lot of people, they were not, uh, didn't have successful families and things like that. It wasn't like I went to school with people that were loaded. Matter of fact, I went to school with a lot of people who, like myself, just came from working class backgrounds. You know, my mm. my mom and dad, 
Uh, my dad has worked his whole life. Uh, he worked in factory work a lot of the time when I was growing up, which was really tough. He used to come home with these big scars on his hands and everything. And I'd be looking at them and like, oh my God, it looks like a tiger attacked you last night when you were working. They used to work night shifts, you know, which was really tough on our family. I remember like we'd come home from school every day and we'd have to like whisper really quietly because <laughs> you'd be up in bed asleep, you know? Yeah. But yeah, like, so we came from a small town and, you know, me personally growing up, I was really interested in playing football and music, my two big things I was into. I wasn't good in school at things like mathematics and stuff like that. It was actually so bad that a teacher got so frustrated with me in primary school, she hit me across the face with this big math maths book. I'll never forget that. And that's I, that was like when I used, I just thought that from that day forward, maths is not for me, which of course is not true. But uh, these things happen when you're a kid, you know, and you think for your whole life that you're not going to be good at them. So I suppose, yeah, I was really into music, really into soccer and uh, did that for, for a lot of my childhood, you know, right up to my teens, uh, played, played music. Uh, football was where I was, soccer was where I was going to go career-wise. Mm. And music was like a nice kind of pastime thing. But uh, I, my body just would not let me be a professional soccer player. A uh, number of doctors looked at me when I was maybe 13 or so. And they were just like, you know, if this is what you want to do with your life, and that's what I thought I wanted to do. They're like, I don't think your body's going to hold up long-term. So that's when I made the decision in my teens to to pursue music, which I, yeah. I, I'm not sure how far you want to go, but anyway, we can go wherever you want. Yeah, no, I mean, did you feel like you were pushed in a certain direction? Because a lot of times, you know, when you've got kind of this, you know, working class background, you've got generation after generation kind of doing the same thing, heading off to the same type of job. You know, sometimes there's a push for you to do the same thing, like stick within the kind 100%. of routine. Did you feel that pressure? Or were you encouraged to pursue these things like music? or soccer like how was your family super supportive of that stuff yeah this the soccer was very understandable like a, a person could see how you would go from start to finish to success let's just call it mm-hmm. so my parents were really on board with that and they really understood that and i was i was a really good player there's a whole story behind that where i wasn't a good player i was never getting in the team i was even told i was not part of the winning combination and i remember one summer i spent the entire summer kicking a tennis ball against the wall because I was told I'd get better if I did that. Mm. And uh, I literally practiced every single day for hours. Within like two years, I was probably the top soccer player in my whole region. That's that's a story for another day. But my parents at that time, they really did impress upon me the value of hard work, the value of uh, pushing forward and things like that, which was fantastic. I think where, where it got tricky for me and my parents, not that we had fallen out or anything though, was whenever the soccer was clear that I, my body wasn't going to hold up. It wasn't like they were disappointed or anything like that. It was just more when I went into the music, it became a really unknown quantity. Like my mm. parents could not understand how in the hell you could get a career in something like that. There was nobody around here in Wexford who had done that before. And so uh, when I pursued that in my teens, right up to the time I was nearly 20, they were very nervous. You know, my my dad actually drove me to a friend of his house one day uh, who was a teacher. And the teacher guy was like, look, you you got to go and do college. You have to do this. You have to do that because, you know, like you could end up like me. Like I'm, reti- I'm retiring now and I'm bringing in whatever 70 grand a year. And this is what you really want to do with your life mm. and all of that. And that was just through sheer fear. My parents had never seen anybody do this before. So definitely uh, there was a lot of pressure down that line. Uh, now, I did actually study uh, business for two years here in Wexford. We have a IT Carlo Wexford campus. And I got student of the year in my second year. Um, and my parents really could see, like, this is something I was good at. But yeah. of course, I really wanted to press forward with the music. And sure, I did that for another couple of years. Yeah, yeah. 
It's interesting. So I, I kind of want to circle back to this because you've mentioned with two things now, things that you weren't good at or thought you weren't good at, and then later found out you did have this kind <laughs> of ability to do. How much time should we invest in the things that we are not good at versus the things that we have yeah. a natural propensity toward? Because like you mentioned, you you were horrible at math and, and it wasn't for you. And obviously now that plays a big part of a lot of the things that you're doing in the in the business world or, you know, with soccer, not being a good player, like how does someone decide where to invest and try to develop themselves versus leaning into like, if you listen to Gary Vee, he'll say like, forget that stuff, lean into your gifts. And I think there's more of a balance there. Uh, where, where do you kind of draw that, draw that distinction? Well, first of all, I think it's a great question. It really is. And something I've thought a lot about for me personally with soccer, I just knew if I worked hard and learned the fundamentals and practiced on the fundamentals, I knew I could get better at it. And the thing was, I was naturally, let's just say, really fast. I was extremely mm. fast runner. And so I knew like, if I could just add on the extra element of being able to kick the ball properly, because that's that was my problem. I literally couldn't kick the ball properly. Yeah. I, would, yeah. I would run the whole length of the pitch, beat everybody, and then I would kick the ball like wide or over the bar into the keeper's arms. I literally couldn't shoot. That was my problem. So mm. I knew like, well, if I can fix that one thing, which is learnable, I can be successful. And I did. Uh, I think then on the math end of things, because this is where the conversation I think gets interesting. Yes, I use math a lot in my life now. Yes, I'm pretty good at math now. Is math my number one uh, skill? Definitely not. So what I learned, and this was really valuable, I did a, a personality test, a number of them now which I'm sure you, you've done many, many yourself. Uh, the 16 personalities is a great one. And there's, there's loads. But when I did, I did this test uh, when I was in working in a corporate job, well, it wasn't a corporate job, the, the government job I was in before I went out to become a, a business owner. And the really valuable test was, it was a book, I can't think of the name. I think it was called Now Focus on Your Strengths. I think that's the name of the book. And there was a, there was a test at the back of it that would identify your five core strengths. And so what came back from that for me was that I was really good in communication. I was really good in this thing called woo, which is like, you know, I suppose rapport, gaining rapport with people. I was good at um, basically persuading people, influencing people, things like that were my my main core things. And Mm -hmm. I suppose looking at it with music and stuff like that, I was displaying a lot of those characteristics, a lot of strengths, let's just call them. um, And that was benefiting me. But what the trouble was with music, um, I wasn't actually gifted enough to want to work hard enough to make mm-hmm. up for the lack of my gift. And this is what happened in that. I, so I knew I had these strengths that I just talked about. And basically, I was writing a lot of songs, sending them off to uh, America, actually. There was a number of guys that were looking at my stuff or saying if it was good or bad or indifferent. And this guy came back and said, you know, you're like an 8 out of 10 when it comes to ability. Mm-hmm. And he's like, if you want to become a real professional in this area, You've got to get to a nine or a 9.5. Not saying you cannot do that, but I'm telling you, it could take you three years. It could take you 10 years. It all depends on you and how much you work. And at that time, I just remember thinking, I'm not passionate enough to work in a job I don't like for this period of time while pursuing that that goal. So I think to give you a long, a long, a long story short version of this, over the last number of years, I realized those strengths that I talked about that I identified years ago have all come right back around now. Mm. And I'm doing what I'm strongest at. I'm communicating on a regular basis with the different things that I do. So I think strengths, natural strengths are really important. But the trouble is for a lot of us, like we maybe don't always see how they will translate into a quote unquote career when we're younger. And uh, sometimes the things that we think we're passionate about 
are not the thi- are the things that we may not be good enough to rise to a world class level mm. uh, if we're not. Uh, and the, the only way to get there will be to work really hard. Whereas now I'm like, if I jump on, I don't know, a webinar, podcast, whatever, it's just it's like easy for me. It's like enjoyable. Uh, yeah. Whereas like if you gave me a math problem, I probably get there, but man, I'm not going to love that. You know? Right. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's a really good breakdown of where the passion plays into it because there are a lot of these things, especially music or something that's super competitive, like that or sports. You know, to be the best of the best, you have to you have to take down a lot of people that are probably more passionate, going to put in more time, just because you do what you what you love. And this is something I've thought about a lot the last probably the last few months. Really, is you know the conversation from kindergarten at least for me that I always got was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And when I look at the stuff I'm doing now, I'm like, this didn't exist when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Like, but I wouldn't have said, oh, I want to be a podcaster or I wanted to be this, you know? And so I think you have to get really comfortable with knowing who you are. Like, what's your vision for your life? What what are you passionate about? And then the tool that you use to express that might change. You know what I mean? Like your personality, you know, didn't change when you started taking on like, Amazon businesses, you know, like it just applied the things that you're already good at and, and you were able to put that passion into it. I, I want to talk a little bit about that. Like what, what was the moment? Cause obviously you'd invested a lot into music career. You're trying to grind that way. What was it that kind of totally tipped the scales? Was it that conversation that just pushed yeah. you in a different direction? Yeah, I, th- I think it was because after, you know, the, the, the band finished, you know, I was in my early early 20s, like 20, 21, that kind of age, um, maybe maybe even 20, uh, one of those ages. I remember I did a podcast not long ago and I literally went back and chronologically ordered everything. Hmm. But it was in around that time with the band that I was in finished. And I remember being really directionless. I was like, what the hell am I going to do now? This is what I thought my destiny was to be. Like I just was convinced. And so I started writing songs just myself and I found that the guy I used to write the songs with, we just had a great thing going, kind of like myself and Robert now in, in the businesses we have, very similar situation. And again, talking about strengths, I work better with another person. I've just learned that over, over the years now. So anyway, um, yeah, when I, when I was writing those songs, they were good. And when I sent them off to that those companies, they would come back with positive words. But yeah, I think it was when that guy just kind of said, this is it, you know, like this is the situation I think coupled with that really brief, really quickly, I have to say, one of my musical icons growing up was a, a band uh, called the Stereophonics. They're not that big in America or Canada, but they're pretty big over here. And the, the, the songwriter, singer Kelly Jones was like a huge hero of mine. When I was 11 years old, my brother passed away, which was, was tough. And I just used to play Stereophonics songs every single day. It's the reason why I'm telling you this. Every single day I would play their, their songs. And my mom wrote this guy a letter when I was about sort of 12 or so saying what had happened, saying that I was, I was playing his songs every day. I was getting through it by just trying to be Kelly Jones. And he wrote me a letter. And uh, years later, I met him while I was playing music. And I said mm-hmm. to him, you know, I was maybe 19 at the time. I was like, oh man, like you wrote me this letter and this and that. And he remembered everything. Mm-hmm. And he told, he could tell me everything about what he, what he said to me. And he told me he's only ever written two letters in, in this time. The point I'm, I'm making is after meeting Kelly, a part of me, I knew actually in a way, the only reason I was playing music in a way was to get to meet this guy. And that was strange, but that's actually what I identified at that point. So that coupled with this guy saying what he said to me, that really pushed me over the edge to reevaluate my life. And, and as well, I was working for 
some time in his job as a data processor at that point in my life. And I was like, I cannot, I couldn't work being a data processor for the next 10 years and, and trying to like chase this thing. This is just not for me. I've, there's yeah. something else better for me out there. And I had really gotten into business at that time, business books, specifically while I was in college. I never finished college. I did three years of college, but I really was into business then. And I was like, I have to get practical experience there because I think I'll be better at that. Mm. Yeah. So it, it, in a way it fulfilled its purpose. Like you yeah. got the closure from it. That's, that's really, really cool. So you're in this job as a data processor and, and hating that job. <laughs> and uh, you, you described it on one of your, uh, one of your articles or, or websites as soul crushing, uh, which, which I can relate to is like any job where you start feeling like you're not supposed to be there starts feeling like that. So what got you into the world of Amazon? Was that, was yeah. that through your connection with Robert or was that beforehand? What was kind yeah, of the, was, the entry into that? Yeah. So like a lot of people, I'm sure listening, you, you all might start laughing as I say this, you know, I was Googling how to become an entrepreneur, how mm. to make money online, all these things we Google. And we all know if you Google how to make money online, you don't find very good things. You find a lot of scammy things <laughs> uh, and it's always been that way. And it continues to be that way. And I suppose uh, for me, I really was like, I have to do something. And so I started trying, I started buying all these affiliate marketing courses and mm. all these things that we do when we start out because we don't know there's other possibilities, there's other things out there. And so I, I tried all these bits, but really what I ended up finding was it was like a pyramid scheme everywhere. It was like, you know, teach other mm. people to make money and you can make money. And by the mm. way, the irony is not last on me because part of our business now is we do teach people how to build a business, but we'll get to that. So um, I really was just like, this is all crap. What am I going to do? So for me, uh, selling physical products just made sense. Mm. I could feel good about it. It was something I could learn how to be in business with. And also it wasn't like I had to convince somebody of some weird opportunity or whatever. It just made sense. And so I bought loads of more courses about this and did very little with them, like a lot of people, right? Uh, what do they call self-esteem? Uh, okay. Not self-esteem, right? And uh, anyway, I started telling people, this is something I want to do. And they realized, why don't they go out there into the world and let people know and ask them, do they know anybody who knows anyone who does this? And I started doing that. And my aunt from Northern Ireland, which is about three and a half hours away from where I live now, she heard about this and she called me and she's like, I didn't speak to her that much. And she's like, I've got this friend called Robert and he does that. He sells products mm. on Amazon and on eBay. Do you want to meet him? And I was like, absolutely. And so and this that was my what, break. And this is around what time period? Just I was for- about 23 then, uh, almost 23. So that, so I'd been basically about, um, the band finished about 19. So about, you know, from the bed time I was in my 20 to 21 years old, I was like, you know, just kind of, I've been working before that as well while in the band. So I was working for a number of years at this point in time. And so I was about, at this point, almost 23 uh, so I had been trying courses and everything for about two, nearly three years at that point. Not really, not really doing anything except getting fat and lazy. <laughs> right. And so this is before it was kind of the norm for everyone to be doing Amazon. So like this is, Absolutely. I was just trying to put in context of like, was this something, this was earlier on in the, in the Amazon kind of world. Yep. <laughs> so knowing somebody who's doing it was more rare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was around 2010 that I started working with Robert, yeah. actually. So I met him that same year. And uh, yeah, I suppose there's, that's something definitely that's interesting, actually, because in a way, people will say, well, it's, it's saturated, blah, blah, blah. But it's really not true when you actually hmm. look at the, the numbers with Amazon. 
But but yeah, there was definitely a lot less people doing it back then. So myself and Robert, we started working together at that point after I basically quit my job and just started working in his warehouse for free for nearly a year. Uh, learned everything I could learn with him. We became best friends during that period of time. And his business at that time, he had two warehouses, a lot of staff. And really, it was a tough grind, you know. I mean, when I started working with him, we were working sort of 10, 15 hours a day, mm. a lot of days, just like from early in the morning to late at night, uh, just, you know, doing what we do, finding new products, you know, dealing with the warehouse work during the day because we weren't using FBA fulfillment by Amazon uh, as a core part of our business. We were doing it ourselves, uh, which, of course, was a mistake. And uh, yeah, I was there for about nine months, learning everything I could, selling stuff secondhand on eBay myself, some of Robert's secondhand products and just really learning practical business. Because before then, I had read all these theoretical business books with no practical experience. And so mm. that was huge for me. And then, and one of the books I read, The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. It's a very famous book. A lot of people, I'm sure, know it who listen to the show. That book was huge for me because that was my in with Robert in that I was learning all this stuff from Robert and that was great. But then I read this book and I realized, oh man, we could bring all these systems to this existing business and really focus on what's working for us. And we did, and we realized, you know, selling on Amazon was where it was at. And then we realized a lot of the products that Robert had been selling were kind of dying out. They were saturated markets. And we decided to really systemize our research and get rid of the warehouses, get rid of the staff, get rid of everybody, rebuild the business ourselves. Robert had another business partner at the time. Rebuild everything from scratch, bring in brand new products and just go all in for nearly 18 months. We did that and we just turned the business around in that time, started loads of new product lines and... You know, that was the start of the whole thing. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of curious, like, because I think I think for a lot of people, they look at the e-commerce, and, and the e-commerce, like you kind of mentioned, gets a bad rep, you know, because there's a lot of scammers out there. There's a lot of people yeah. with the, in front of their Lamborghini shooting a video <laughs> yeah. saying, look how I did this. And so I think some people, you know, when they hear someone saying like, oh, I do Amazon, or I do this, or I do Shopify, like there's this kind of like, this like are you sure that's like a legit business is that secure is that safe i'm kind of curious as you guys sat down and evaluate as you're reading these books was there any thought of like building a business outside of amazon or was amazon kind of the obvious path because the one of the things i've heard from a few people that have that have looked into this stuff is that they're they're concerned about you know being under someone else's roof you know like what if amazon shuts down my store or what if this happens so uh, was there any kind of doubt in your mind or question mark of like, should we do this under Amazon or should we start from the ground up as our own company? Yeah, it's a genuine thing. I mean, first of all, I would a couple of things. Number one, I actually have a t-shirt that we make. It says no Lambos on it. So <laughs> that's what I think about that. Uh, but, but also, yeah, like, I mean, even now, no matter what business you're in, we all rely on some platform or another. Mm. Oh, like so if you're using Stripe, well, you're relying on Stripe for your payments or PayPal. If you're no matter if you're using your email provider, you know, maybe for us we use Sangrid. So we're always relying on somebody. Like, I mean, this idea that we truly have our own platform as just ours. I don't think unless you build that technology yourself and have your own servers, that's always entirely true. People get their email accounts shut down all the time and whatever. But but definitely 
Uh, it is a concern. There's no question about it. I suppose for me, when I first started learning from Robert, that's where he had this the most success. He had built websites himself. He actually built one of the first websites in the UK. Mm. Uh, it was called Beyond Hi-Fi. And they sold a lot of like uh, stereo products and things like that. They were the dealers of, oh, it, they were big globally. I just kind of think it named, but they used to do, do tapes and stuff like that. And they were distributors in Ireland of this big company. I just kind of think of the damn name. It's it's at the tip of my brain. I'll get it back. I'll probably shout it at you at the end of the interview. <laughs> So, so I suppose uh, Robert had had a lot of success with these marketplaces because reality is, you know, they were bringing millions of customers still do to this day to a platform. And as long as you abide by the rules of the platform, you can do really well. And it's still the same way with Amazon right now. So I suppose if you don't have uh, a, a site like Amazon that you're working with, you know, selling types of products that we would have sold, like vacuum storage bags and cedar hangers and, you know, speaker mounts and stands, those things are really challenging to sell on your own website simply because mm. you're competing with a huge company like Amazon. Yeah. So, you know, my belief for what it's worth is that to succeed with your own website, you really need to be doing something that's unique. Like you can't be selling something that is I'm not going to say commoditized because we don't believe we sell commodities, but on the way towards commoditized, you know, like the products we sell, even like a speaker stand or speaker mount, for example, would be quite big for us still to this day. Like you sell them in your own site is going to be really, really challenging. Yeah. So yeah. it just made sense to us to go there. And I guess, um, We've built our own sites with our other businesses and stuff like that. So we have a lot of experience there. I think just for us, from a point of view of like, there's millions of people here buying stuff. Let's just sell on there. Always made sense, you know, still does to this day. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's something you have to weigh out with any, any platform that you use yeah. is, you know, what am I gaining or losing when I switch over? Um, that was a question that came up with the podcasting industry was Apple yeah. just rolled out their podcast subscriptions and people were like, you know, they're taking a bigger cut. They're doing, you know, they're taking 30% versus this company 17, but there's also millions more users that are going to see your price. So you have to weigh out, do I want to have less customers paying me, you know, more, do I have to have more paying me less? And you have to start doing that math a little bit and figuring out what that's going to, yeah. what that's going to look like. I think as well, from an e-commerce standpoint though, and a business standpoint, it's like, if you're a beginner in this world, I mean, building your own website, bringing customers cold from the internet have never met you before and selling them something like, not to say it's impossible because it isn't, but it's definitely a lot more challenging than uh, putting your product, learning how to research on a site like Amazon, putting your products onto that platform and getting in front of millions of people who already buy stuff. It's just simpler. Uh, I'm not going to say it's easy. Nothing's easy out there. But as well, like a lot of people will then say, well, you know, Amazon is saturated and stuff like that. But if you actually look at the growth of Amazon from the time we started teaching this, which is 2015, uh, we've been doing it for a number of years without yeah. teaching anything, which is how it should be. Uh, the, I believe the, the global revenue is about $110 billion on Amazon at that time, uh, certainly Amazon.com. And now... 2020, because obviously 2021 is not finished yet. The revenue, I believe, was 380 billion. So it's almost quadrupled in the time that we started uh, teaching and talking yeah. about it. But if you actually look at it from 2019 to 2020, I think it was like 220 billion or something like that. 2019, so you slid that big jump up to 380 billion inside a year. So the the platform, and you look at the graphs, and you go statista.com or wherever you want to look at that, you can just see it's continuing to grow. And I mean, Amazon right now is 50% of e-commerce, which is kind of insane when you yeah. think about that. 
So it's kind of like, it's just a platform that's humongous. I mean, we were, we spoke with an investor years ago who he actually invested in a number of businesses that used Amazon as their, one of their main distribution channels. And I remember us talking about it and we're like, you know, yeah, there's other marketplaces out there. And he's like, yeah, but Amazon's the only one that counts, yeah, <laughs> you know? Right. And it's kind of true, you know, still to this day. Yeah. Well, it's like getting your product on the shelf of a Walmart versus a yeah. mom and pop store, you know, like it's gonna, yeah. it's gonna do a lot better. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Tell me a little bit about the education side because obviously that is yeah. what you've, and, and I really respect that you guys took so long to just do it because there are a yeah. lot of people that their model is like, I'm going to, and we get it even on our ads, we'll get comments, you know, and we're like, no, we've done the work to figure it out first before teaching yeah. it. But a lot of people, that is their model. I'm going to teach you how to teach people and then, <laughs> you know, keep that cycle going. Um, so tell me about the education side. When did you decide to start sharing the knowledge instead of hoarding the knowledge? And yeah. You know, how has that business helped people really in the, in the last couple of years? Sure. Yeah. So in 2014, we just started, you know, sharing with a couple of people around us. You know, I mentioned 2015, that's the year I feel a marketplace superheroes really properly launched, you know, but so in 2014, we sat down, I remember about April of that year and we started sketching out, you know, what could go into the program because Robert and I had spent a number of years really like honing our research process and selling all different kinds of products and just seeing the effect of that and selling in lots of different markets, not just, for example, we sell, I don't know, fitness accessories or something like that, for example. But anyway, when we started doing that in 2014, really we started sharing it with people that we knew who were interested in how we had really been spending the last few years not working that much at the time. Uh, we, I work a lot more than I used to back then, but for good reason nowadays. But we were, you know, going to Florida with our with our families. I had just a, my girlfriend, their wife at the time. And it was nice, you know, life was good. It was very chilled and everything else. 
but we just had that. We just saw other people teaching this Amazon stuff and we really felt we had something to offer that nobody else was providing. Uh, we felt like we had a much bigger focus on the numbers, understanding your numbers. We felt like our the types of products that we would tell people to sell were the complete opposite of what a lot of people were teaching. That's still the case to this day. We sell very low competition stuff as that's what we teach. Everybody else is out there teaching the stuff that's really you know trendy and blah, blah, blah. And it's just not, it's not a good long-term business model in this context, we don't believe. So we had a very strong opinion on what we felt would work. So we started teaching people. They started getting some success, which was great. And we were very happy about that. And then really, I, I was studying online marketing for a good few years at that point. I'd never had a project, though, to take all this stuff I'd been learning, that theory again, and put it into practice. And so we just sort of said, let's, let's just put it out there and see what happens. And I remember us sitting down in our office saying, if we made like 300,000 profit out of this whole thing, that would be fantastic. Like that's what our vision was back then uh, and really wasn't like to build this big group or whatever. And so uh, in 2000 and late 2014, we launched the first version, very rough version. I was on the phone call speaking to people who were interested in buying it. We got our first customers from uh, a, a now a mentor and friend of mine, a guy called Ryan Lee, had a great uh, platinum group. And I was telling people that we were working on this project. And a lot of people were really interested in selling on Amazon because it was a lot newer back then than it is today. Yeah. And so we would that, that's where we got a lot of our first customers from. And then in 2015, we got our big break because we had a lot of different USPs, unique selling propositions that most of our competitors did not have. So the biggest one for us was, still is to this day, teach you how to sell your own branded products, not just on amazon.com, but in multiple countries. Mm-hmm. And that was the first kind of big thing, which led to a big marketing breakthrough, which we call the rule of five. And for anybody listening, what that was, and you can think about this for your own business, how you could do something like this, It was, if you could sell five products on Amazon in five countries at the same time, sell five units per product per day in each country at an average uh, profit of $5, net profit of $5, you'd make $18,750 profit per month. And that like immediately, that was a big breakthrough because it was like, whoa, that's five products. How does that work? And and that really was huge for us. And so everybody else at that time was teaching, get one product, push it, push it, push it. And only then should you ever consider a second product. So straight away, our methodology was how we always did things. No. It just felt a lot easier to people and simpler, easier to understand. And so in 2015, March, I think it was 2015, there was a, a guy called Jay Boyer, still a friend of mine to this day. Uh, he was promoting a lot of stuff as an affiliate at that time. And our biggest, I suppose, competitor, I never really say competitor now, he was promoting them for many years. And he decided to promote us instead on this big launch. And we launched at the same time as they did. And he promoted us. And that changed our lives because about 300 people, 300 people joined our program oh. at that time. We had never seen anything like that before. You know, we were successful in our Amazon business, but we had never seen that much revenue over the course of like a couple of days, you know, three, four days. So it was kind of mind blown. And uh, that's whenever the company started to pick up a lot more steam. We started putting more money into advertising then on Facebook, doing webinars. Of course, we had to learn the webinar process and endure lots of webinars where nobody bought anything and all of that. And so, yeah, that was where we really, things kicked off for us. Yeah, well, I, I definitely want to pivot the conversation in the direction of networking here in just a minute. But I, I am curious because a lot has changed since 2014, 2015. Uh, obviously, I think the big, the biggest thing has been 
online sales have been higher than ever in the last year because of COVID, like nobody's leaving. So groceries, all the products, furniture, everything is going through the, through the online kind of world. Um, yeah. How has the teaching changed? And I guess, what are you currently offering to people who are listening and saying, okay, this still sounds good. If there's not, a, if there's not as many people as I'm imagining there are, um, and I want to dive into this world, what are some of the things that you're teaching or offering right now to help people get started? Yeah, well, you know, we've, since 2015, we have a main core component of our business. And do you want to know specifically what we're teaching? Or do you want to know more how the teaching business has evolved? Just so I answer Yeah, specifically what you're, what you're teaching and, and offering to people right now to kind of help them adapt to how yeah. it is right now. It's funny, we, our whole core methodology hasn't changed. You know, mm. literally hasn't changed. Uh, we still sell the same kinds of items. Our research process has improved a bit. I suppose, though, from the business perspective on the, in the information coaching side, our business has seen massive growth, uh, in, especially in the last year. We've grown mm. at an unbelievable rate, you know. And I think the reason for that as well, which anybody listening with your own business, I think you can learn, you can learn a lot from this. Uh, you know, maybe two, three years ago, we uncovered as we were growing Marketplace Superheroes. And by the way, we now have over 8,000 students for anybody listening, just to give that kind of number. It's wild. Uh, we, we found, though, that the biggest problem for all our students, right, was importing stuff from China. Because that's mm. what we typically teach. And it was just so hard. You go to a freight border and it would just be like, we would teach all this. And it would take maybe 100 emails, no joke, with one freight forwarder to get your stuff imported. It was a complete nightmare. So we knew like three years ago, this would be a thing. If we could solve this problem, it would be a massive win for our community. So we, we've tried partnering with different people and all the rest. But over the last three years, we've been building a company called Superhero Freight, which has been amazing. You know, This year, we will ship about 8 million units from China to our warehouses. And we've warehouses in Houston, Texas, a big one there, over 30,000 square feet. We've a warehouse in Northern Ireland. We've a warehouse in Australia. We've a warehouse in Canada. And it's all our own warehouses that we operate ourselves mm. with a partner. And I suppose, you know, the reason I tell you this is that by focusing on our clients for the last number of years and really looking at what are the things that are stopping them from being successful or are difficult or complicated, that's, I think, what's made us stand out in our market above everybody else, as well as having a very realistic message, as well as looking at marketing breakthroughs like the rule of five to simplify down uh, the pathway to success for people. When we've added all that together. It's really, it's really catapulted us on massively over the last couple of years. So our methodology hasn't really changed. But what definitely has changed is things like our freight service, because if you didn't have the freight service on selling on Amazon right now, you have a difficult time because you cannot send 2,000 units into a warehouse. Now, I'm not looking to get bogged in the technicalities of that. But for you listening today, like what's a huge problem in your market right now that you hear constantly you could solve if you changed how you view your business? And the way we did that was we realized, you know, we're the but we still sell on Amazon, but in, in the context of our information education business, we are the marketers of selling on Amazon. We market that that thing to people. And then it was about understanding we're just marketers full stop. And when we really understood that, it was like, well, we can we can create lots of different things that can help our members. So we know uh, we bought a, a law firm, pretty much in, a, in, a, in, a, in essence, we bought a law firm. We bought a design company. We bought all these businesses and they all now operate underneath our uh, ecosystem where we bring everybody to and we, we basically help people build their business from this ecosystem. And so I suppose the reason I'm telling you that is that's what's helped us grow by really focusing on our clients and focusing on the fact that we can sell 
different solutions to our existing customers more often, right. that's a game changer from the Jay Abraham through a scroll business, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I definitely have to talk to you about networking. I think it's already played a big part of your story. I mean, obviously oh, the with Robert was, was what helped launch it. Uh, but do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? Yeah, I think who you know is incredibly important. I know there's a book from Dan Sullivan out and it's called um, The Who, Not The How. And I think that's an interesting concept simply because, yeah, like sometimes the who is more important than the how. You can find someone who can do it. So that that's problem solved. And I suppose in the context of Marketplace Superheroes with networking, networking has played a massive part. And I'll give you some examples so in 2014, as we were getting this thing going, I went to an event in Florida. It just so happened I was on vacation with my family and this event was on. I'd never been to an internet marketing event in Verticomas in my life. And I went there, right? I, I met all these different people. I just told them what I was doing. I was very honest about where we were and all of that. And to this day, uh, one guy, a guy called David Schloss, he still runs our Facebook ads to this day in 2021. And not only that, David introduced us to Jay Boyer, the guy I told you about, who was our first big affiliate. He is he also introduced us to a whole host of other people that I met in 2014 at this one event. I can't even tell you what the value of that event was now in 2021. Mm. And so yeah, like networking has been huge and people constantly say to me, no matter what business we're operating, I have a number of people I know I can reach out to and get things going. And that is so valuable. So even when I was not as successful as today, uh, not even remotely and completely unknown, I was spending time doing things for other people, helping other people, not asking for anything in return. And all of that goodwill has stood me in great stead. Those people still to this day, if I want to pick up a phone and speak to someone, they'll help me. And that's huge, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mentorships are, are so important and having those connections that you can just ask ask about how to do that stuff. And like, you know, yeah. there's been so many things just in the last, last couple of months through our coaching business and through, um, you know, podcasting course creation and all these different things we've been reaching out to people and just asking, what do you do here? What's the best option for this? And, uh, those contacts are definitely, definitely valuable. Yeah. Um, I, I am curious if you, if you could pick one networking tip for someone who's sitting there saying like, okay, you know, it would be great for me to know somebody who does this, or it would be great to, to be able to have a connection. Like, like you mentioned, it was great that you were able to know someone with a family connection. That was like an awesome opportunity. Obviously you had to do the work and pursue that and put in the time. But for someone who's saying like, I don't think I know anybody in this space. I'm starting from scratch. I, I need to know how to even make that first connection. Uh, what yeah. would you encourage someone to do to kind of start building relationships with people? Yeah, I, I'd say it's hard to say one thing, but I'll try to keep it as little as possible. My biggest overarching theme here, which isn't mine, is from uh, Bob Berg. Uh, it's this idea of being a go-giver, not a go-getter, be a go-giver. And uh, I read that book. I've read it countless times. It's a great little book. It's a, it's a parable uh, about giving, and it'll change your life, guaranteed. I mean that. I read that book, and I, I realized, you know, in order to get things we've got to give way more ahead of time. So even in 2014, 15, like as I was building up that network, I was constantly looking at it and going, what can I give this other person before I ask for anything? So that's, I suppose, an underlying thematic thing you really need to have. The second thing is a lot of people assume they have nothing to offer at all. You know, I'm, I'm like, I was a data processor, but here's the thing. 
I read that book, The E-Myth, that I told you guys about earlier on. And that got me my big in with this guy, Robert, who had already been pretty successful. Because even though I was nowhere near as successful as this guy in business, I knew something he didn't know. And I was able to provide that value to him and talk to him about it. And then I had the interest to want to actually go out and implement that with him. So the go giving was big too, because remember I said, I worked in a warehouse for nine months for, for no money. I didn't ask for anything. I was trying to give as much as I possibly could. And I, I actually hadn't read the go giver back then. I was just, I was stumbling across that. It was a little bit later that I read that book and I realized, wow, I was actually doing that stuff without even realizing it. And even to this day, I'm constantly doing that. I'll give you a practical example. So I am interested in, in America and Canada, you guys would know what this is, but over here we call it something different. Uh, so this thing called mentalism. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before. It's like mind reading. So yeah. I've been really interested in that for, for years. I just love, I love the whole thing. And that's something I've wanted to do for quite some time. So I decided, okay, I want to get into this. How can I, how can I get a head start? So I went to the top guys in that industry and I just found, I was just like, there's two ways you can go. You can work your way in or you can buy your way in. Hmm. So I looked at that and I was like, I'm going to buy my way in because these guys, it wasn't particularly expensive to do some mentorship with them. So I paid money. I started working with these guys, learning from them, improving my skills massively. But even just recently, one of these gentlemen, um, I was able to show him how to improve his online part of his business. Hmm. And I gave him exactly what to do. Here's emails you should send, all of that, right? And I didn't ask, as my, I'm paying this guy uh, to be mentored, right? But I know by doing that, it's a good thing to do, but also that will come back to me in multiples down the line. It always does. So I think, um, so, so I think just from that one thing alone, that one idea there, it's like, just reach out to people as well. Find a way to, imp- to, to benefit them. And that's the key. Whereas if you make it about you, I'd like to take you to lunch to like, you know, pick your brain. No one wants that, right? And I'm sure you guys uh, are sick of hearing those things. I, I certainly am. I tell people now, identify something that I'm doing, I could be doing better and create a solution or g- gather the solution. Come talk to me. And I'm yeah. open to that conversation anytime. Yeah. Yeah. It's leading with value. And, and a lot of times it's, uh, oh, can I buy you a coffee? And it's like, well, the people yeah. you reach out to can probably afford their own coffee. That's probably not a big problem you need to solve. But the amount of money it's cost them to take an hour away from their business to have exactly. that coffee is is what people need to think about. And uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's really valuable. I, I want to ask one more question. This is somewhat of a selfish question before we get into our, sure. uh, into our random round here. But uh, obviously you've built up a huge online kind of learning mastermind essentially for for lack of a better word um 8000 plus members how are you maintaining this we've we've got our own group that we've started up that we're we're trying to build up um how are you continually adding value and keeping people involved because obviously you're just from talking to you right now i know that you're laying out your cards on the table like here's how we do it um how do you keep people invested in trying to learn more, staying with your group? And how do you continue increasing the value you're giving to them? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question. I mean, you know, when you start out, the mistake we made was we felt like we'll, we'll just sell our main core program. And once they have that, have everything. So what else could they want? Like right. they have everything. It's A to Z. And it's so funny, like looking back at that now, how misguided that was. And just, you know, how basic that was. And I suppose where my life changed, again, from a business perspective, is I was introduced to the work of Jay Abraham. And Jay is a mentor of mine. 
I actually got to work with him in person this year. Well, hmm. on Zoom, but in person, which was pretty amazing. But one of Jay's biggest things is the three ways to grow a business, right? And for those of you who don't know, I'll cover it in two minutes. Uh, number one way to grow a business is get more buyers, more subscribers. The second way to grow a business is by increasing your average transaction value. The third way is to sell your existing customers more often. There's no other way to grow a business. And it's beautiful. It's just three. Now, there's lots of tactics to do each of those different steps, but there's only three core strategies. So understanding that, I was like, okay, well, what would happen if we like, um, you know, we started started doing other stuff. We started teaching other things. How, how would that work? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we just started going down that line of like, we'll do a little event. We'll do this. We'll do that. These little ideas at first, all of them were successful. And then I, I about two and a half years ago or something like that, I had a massive moment where we had sold things from time to time. We'd always do well. And I met a guy uh, called Ben Atkins, very interesting marketer. Now, Ben literally creates a new uh, program a week, pretty much, mm. which I think is excessive, but he does it very successfully. He's very good at picking out yeah. these little things that his audience want to know. He's brilliant at it, and he's a great marketer. But I looked at that, and I was like, okay, well, what if we started selling different things, uh, delivering value in different ways? So, for example, like an online do-it-yourself program is great. What about a coaching program? That changes everything. The delivery mechanism changes. The value you get changes. And therefore, the uh, the investment changes. And then we were like, okay, but what if we took one piece of our program, product research, and we do like an online virtual boot camp? So my point is, when you change up the delivery mechanism and the investment, you can you grow your business instantly. Secondly, uh, you, when you take elements of your programs that are the most difficult, and then you kind of reskin them, change the delivery mechanism, like shrinking it down to an immersive four days or whatever it is, you'll find that you can sell lots of things to your existing audience and they will love you for it. And then the real gold standard marketing is when you understand, well, we can deliver in different ways. And also now we can use different types of campaigns Mm. to sell those different things. So for example, we can sell things over direct email. We can send an email sequence. We can sell things over a webinar. We can sell things over a video launch. We can sell things over a mini Facebook group and it closes down in 12 days and it's gone. So I think when you start understanding this matrix, you realize, holy crap, I can sell so many different great things. My audience will really want to buy and I can deliver the marketing to them in so many different ways. My business changes, becomes fresh all the time. And at the end of the day, uh, what you'll find is people always want fresh and they always want to, they want to buy more things from you and get more value from you in different ways as long as you offer it to them. And that's the key. Right. Right, right, absolutely. Well, I definitely want to move us into our into our random round. Um, so let me ask you just a couple quick questions and some quick answers, and then we can uh, we can wrap up the episode. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? Well, I said I I want to become a mentalist. Uh, that's what I want to do. So that is what I'm attempting to do right now. Gotcha. If you could sit on a park bench with anybody past or present and talk to them about anything for an hour, who would it be and why? Yeah, I, it's a guy called Michael Masterson. Uh, he wrote a book called Ready, Fire, Aims, my favorite business book of all time. I would sit down with him and I would just want to talk to him about the four stages of company growth, talk about where we are right now and just go through it. And I've tried to get reach out to this dude, but he's hard to get. So Michael Masterson, yes. or His real name is Mark Ford, by the way. His pen name is Michael Masterson. How do you like to learn best? Is it through books, blogs, podcasts? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I learn best from a variety of sources, actually. I love audio from I'm in the car. I love video for, for something I'm really interested in. I need to see the intricacies of how something is done. I really mix it up, you know. I don't just go one way. But certainly, I'd say if you were to look at my total learning, I'd say audio is probably my biggest thing now, funnily enough, uh, just because it's like if I'm in the car, it's easy to listen to and whatever. Right. Give us a, give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Yeah. Funny this one. Uh, my morning routine is kind of terrible at the moment, um, simply because we have a two-year-old now. And, uh, you know, whenever we had Harvey, uh, things changed quite a bit. And I re-evaluated re- a lot of my, I suppose, priorities and stuff like that. But I will say real quick, whenever the gyms open up again, what will be happening is I'll be in the gym about eight o'clock and then I'll be into work about nine, uh, sort out the kind of the most brain-busting things first thing, and then move into the other bits. I suppose years ago, and I don't want to take too much time in this answer, but years ago, I had the whole get up at 5.30, read, do all these different bits and bobs, and it really served me for a period of time in my career. Whereas just right now, where I am in my life right now, I'm pretty happy just getting up, doing the gym at 8 o'clock, getting into work, getting it done, and getting back home, which sounds really sad and pathetic, but that's how it is at the minute. I have, I have a three-year-old, so my morning routine is survive. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely changes things. What is your go-to pump-up song? Yeah, it's actually one that no one probably knows. It's called Drive a Thousand Miles by the Stereophonics. It's not even one of their main songs in their main album. I don't know why. I listen to that song every time before I'm going to do a webinar. It really pumps me up. Gotcha. What's one thing you're not very good at? Uh, well, I mentioned maths. I'm not very good at that. And secondly, I would say I'm not very good I'm not very good at sticking to a rigid schedule. Hmm. I'm bad. I feel like I'm trapped and I'm back in a job again. And I rebel awfully whenever (laughs) I get into that. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, Last question. What is one place online where people can connect with you the most? That's a great question. I would say one place where you can connect with me uh, because I don't really use it very much is like Instagram. You can go Stephen J. Summers, but definitely go and visit uh, marketplacesuperheroes.com if you want more on the Amazon stuff. And I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give you another one, growmyreach.com if you want to learn more of the business building stuff I mentioned for information company, stuff like that. That's awesome. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I know we uh, we took up our full time here, but it was it was awesome to talk with you and you dropped a lot of value today. Same to you, man. Thanks, man. I try to pack in as much as I can. (laughs) That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.